good evening, everybody. How are we doing tonight? Ideally, this will be the last night in the sweat lodge before fall officially kicks in. And so if there's any revelation to be grabbed, grab feeling a little dehydrated and lightheaded. Now is the time to seize that opportunity. If you are new here, my name is Matt Moberg. We are thrilled that you are with us. And as the video alluded to, we are stepping out in our second season here, trying to avoid, you know, the sophomore slump that has plagued so many greats like, um, John, who's some great sophomore slumps? Marty Cordova, Nickelback, Creed, things like that. Trying to sidestep the sophomore slump, we want to start out with a brand new series, and we're calling it What Lies Beneath. The idea, the why behind it is... We believe, and we've been discussing this concept, that if we are actually going to be an edifying people, both in what we embody and also in what we express, then we cannot be a force for healing if we're not being formed into health. You know what I'm saying? We have to get underneath the go between the constant motion and actually ask what is going on and name what are healthy people doing and what does that look like? What does it look like to be stable, to be rooted and established? And so... Over the first eight weeks of this season, we're trying to identify eight hallmarks of healthy people. Last weekend, we talked about how healthy people are hopeful people. They don't have any fear when it comes to the future. And to set up where I want to go tonight, I want to look at a text in Genesis 12. Let me give you a little context to the content that we're going to go into. This is the pages where we are first introduced to Abram. Abram is somebody who doesn't come with a lot of flash next to his name. There's not a lot of pizzazz. He's pretty mundane in the opening scenes of his story. He just doesn't bring much to the, Unlike all the other patriarchs that we have, Abraham, the primary patriarch, he comes with no childhood behind him and no children coming from him. He's just kind of vanilla. He's just kind of there. It's flyover territory. Not unlike Green Bay, for example. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, nothing to see there. I don't want to talk about that. But the text is the first time in the midst of the vanilla, amidst the flyover territory, where he is kind of stuck in this stale place where he hears a voice crying out from the void, asking something more out of his life. And God speaks these words to him. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. Okay. Can I tell you a story? It's a drinking story. Is that okay? Speaking of drinking, kick over my water bottle. I had somebody, true story, not long ago tell me that I... I shouldn't talk about alcohol in the church because alcohol is the enemy to which I reminded that person that Jesus said to love our enemy. That didn't go over so well. It wasn't as cute of a response as I had hoped it would be. Story goes like this. 2,000 years ago, there was a rabbi who was loving a particular enemy named Pino Grigio over a dinner in a nearby village. And when the dinner was complete and everybody was going back home, the rabbi started wandering into the dark. He stumbled, it was not a sprint, he wobbled to and fro, and he tried to make his way back home until finally he came to a crossroads, and it was pivotal at this crossroads that he had some clarity, because the stakes were high. If he were to go right at the crossroads, he would find himself in his bed at his home, morning would be here soon enough, but if he were to go left, it'd get weird. Down the block from where he was to his left was a Roman military outpost, and that is not a place that he wanted to be. There are not people there who wanted to see him. 
So the stakes are high. It feels like with those stakes so high, the decision should be simple. But again, sobriety wasn't really his thing at this present moment. And so he hangs a left where he was supposed to go right. And in a matter of minutes, he runs into and he hears a soldier shouting, Who are you and what are you doing here? The rabbi, he's bewildered, flabbergasted. He, he doesn't know what to say, and so he doesn't say anything. The soldier shouts again, this time a little bit louder. Who are you and what are you doing here? This time around, the little sobriety starts to sink in. The rabbi, he straightens up his back, and he walks towards the soldier, and he looks him in the eye. And he says to him, how much are they paying you to do what you do? And the soldier says, 100 denarii. The rabbi takes another step closer and he says to him, I will double that pay if you will come to my house every morning for the rest of my life and you ask me those same two questions again and again. Who are you and what are you doing here? I love those questions. I love that story. I love what they ask of us. There's power in that story. There's power in what's being proposed to this rabbi who accidentally takes a wrong turn for in a very beautiful way. But what I didn't realize until this past week is, and I've told this story time and time again, but what I didn't realize is the power is not just in what is being presented inside of these questions. The power is also inside of the place where the questions are being asked. Because had the rabbi gone right, he would have been back home. But because he went wrong, he found a new place of healing. He didn't go the safe way to where he was supposed to be, but he went the wrong way and somehow it helped him to see. There was something about stumbling, about getting lost that made him look at life in a different way. And I think about this story every time I read Genesis 12 and we think together about Abram's. Because Abram, in this moment, he is at a crossroads. Abram is at this place where he is stuck and he is stalling out. 75 years old and his body is a blur. We know nothing about this man. All we know is that he is Terah's son, he is a brother, and he is a husband to Sarai. But we don't know much else. He comes crossroads, and there's a voice that speaks to him. And in a world that is going to the right in a world that is tribal-centric, in a world that is climbing the corporate ladder and landing the corner office, in a world that is growing busy families, signing up your kids for all the sports, doing all these different things, in that world right there where everybody's going right, Abram hears a voice that invites him to go left, to do what to all else might look like the wrong thing to do, the wrong move to make. To this nobody, in this nobody town, a voice cries out from the void. And the voice says to Abram, Lech lecha. Lech lecha. And I know that we read this text, and when we first read those words right there at the beginning, we read it as, in our English as go from this place. But if we were to actually read it in the Hebrew, we would read that it says to go to your person. Lech lecha is not an anxious demand for you to run for your life. It is not their need for you to pick up your things and book it and go. That's not what the text is saying. Lech lecha means literally, you need to go to you. You need to go into your depths. 
You, you need to actually pull up a chair and look at all of the things that you are living through and carrying within. Lech, lekah, is the invitation that God casts out to Abram. And it's also the invitation that God is cultivating in each of us to move beyond the decor of who we appear to be and into the depths of who we actually are. To ask real questions about what life is, going, is like right now. To cease from constantly trying to fill our lives and stop and actually feel our lives. To ask questions like, what are you afraid of right now? What are you longing for? No, I know you're running to and fro. I know why you're doing all, but why are you doing these things? What are you pretending not to know? Who are you pretending not to be? Have you stopped to actually fill your life, feel your life? Or are you stuck in that place where you're constantly filling your life? Lech Lecha is an invitation to you, for you to go to you, to take that trip, to ask yourself, what is it that lies beneath? Which is a question that Lauren and I, we asked earlier this Tuesday. That's my boy right there, soy sauce. And Sawyer, I will, I will spare you the details on the issue at hand, but he had a bulge in his lower stomach area. And after months of trying to figure out through WebMD and other resources how, what this thing may or may not be, we decided we had to go to the doctor and talk about it. Now, here's the thing with this bulge is that it was not constantly present. So don't look at me like I'm the worst parent. Get off of your high horse table community. This bulge would flare up from time to time. It would always flare up when he was either feeling angry or excited or passionate or screaming, having a meltdown. The bulge would come out of nowhere. That's when we would see this. So we're talking to the doctor about this. We're laying out the scenario at hand. And the doctor says, okay, we're going to actually need to take it lies beneath. If we have any chance at understanding what is happening on the surface, we're going to have to go beneath to see what's swimming underside. What's the story behind it? And when he was talking about that, I just figured that that is as true for Sawyer's body as that is for all of ours. I think in life we often move to and fro when we're busy doing this and that and we're, we're performing and we're producing. But we often have these moments where something flares up and we're caught off guard by our emotional reaction to something. Or we're caught off guard by how upset we are about something. And every time we go into that place of shock or interruption, God's voice is speaking there. Lech lecha. You need to go to you. There's some things you need to look at underneath. If you found yourself cursing a kicker today, there's probably some things you need to look at underneath. If you find yourself staying up late tonight, angry that you have to go back to the office, back to the classroom tomorrow, there's probably some things that you should look at underneath. If you find yourself driving and you're on 35W and you get in one of those never-ending traffic jams where you're stuck for hours at a time and you end up saying, I hate my life, how did I end up? You have some things that you need to look at underneath. Lech lecha. And there's so much power in doing so. Can you imagine if we actually did this, if we were willing to be brave enough to stop what we were doing, to stop filling our lives and start feeling our lives? Think about it, like, let me trumpet on you really quick, and I won't be long on this because I won't, but can you imagine if 45, 
every time Jeff Sessions said something to him, every time one world leader stepped on his toes, instead of lashing out, he actually lech lechad. If instead of like him tweeting out, how dare that person, that idiot, that moron, that conspirator, he actually said, when he said that, that hurt my feelings. Trump tweeted out this morning, when they did this, I've never felt more alone. There's so much power in that because there'd be so much permission for us to do the same, to go into that place. And I realize why we don't, because it would get weird. It would get messy. I was at a dinner the other night with Lauren, and um, one of our friends told us that next spring, he's going to be deploying for a year. He's got babies the same age as my babies, and he'll be taken off for 11 months and will not be able to come back in between. And he told us this, and we talked about it for maybe a minute, but then we started talking about our favorite paint colors in our homes. And it didn't feel weird. What a tragedy that it didn't feel weird. There's so much to be asked inside of that conversation. Are you afraid? Are, are you scared of leaving? Are you scared of what your babies are going to think of you? Are you scared of coming back? Are you scared of what's on the other side? What are you feeling inside of all that you're facing? We didn't go there. And again, I get it. I mean, it would have probably been weird if we did. It would have been uncomfortable. But when you open up a body, it is, right? This is what we learned on Tuesday. In the surgery, I go back there, Lauren's pregos, and so she can't. And I'm back there holding Sawyer's hand. And we were briefed on, this might be a jarring experience for you. This might be emotionally difficult. You might be surprised by how fiercely you feel that moment when you're in it. And I was. You go back there and you're holding your baby's hand. The one that you have spent the last three years of your life protecting, feeding, nurturing, trying to keep safe and raised right. And then you see his eyes roll in the back of his head. And then you see his body start to squirm. And then you see the dinosaur fall off his chest. And then you see him look at you like, you're supposed to be on my side. And then you hear the doctor say that you actually need to leave. That's a messy place to be in. But in order for the healing to happen, Sawyer really did have to be left alone. He needed that space from his father, from the land, from his familiarity, from my hand, from that comfort zone. Do you have that space in your life? Are you willing to go to that place in your life? To unclench your fingers around how you believe life needs to look. And be open to ask God, what is it that you are doing in me right now? Who am I? And what am I doing here? To be brave enough to make a mess and go in that space. Come what may. When Jesus asked the question, he asked the question of, are you willing to lose your life to actually end up finding your life? And there's something to be noted inside of that. I think Doc Nielsen and I were talking about this earlier last week, but... It's important to understand that the invitation that falls in front of Abram is not an, an indictment on that which is behind him. When Jesus says that, are you willing to lose your life, what is implied implicitly inside of that is that you once lived a life. You cannot lose that which you have yet to build. 
it's important that we recognize that these lives, these containers that we are raised inside of, they have a point, they have a purpose. When I first started making music, I didn't sing my own songs. I started playing the songs of Johnny Resnick, Bob Dylan, James Taylor. We all begin as cover artists. You have to do that. God knits you together in your mother's womb, your lips, your hips, and your fingertips. But the moment that you come out, your parents and your peers, they play a role. Human beings are born, but they also are made. And so we have these lives that we are built, that have been built. The fingertips of the land, our father's home, all these things are honest. The question is not whether or not that's true. The question is, is whether or not you'll still be true. Whether or not you'll call all of that stuff into question. It's not an ask to denounce your father's house. It's not an ask to divorce yourself from the land. The ask is, will you actually dissect it and see it for the merit that it is? Holding you back. Jesus now prior to getting back up is inside of a grave that was a gift. What we looked at all of our endings as places with our gifts. And we're just laying this thing down here right now so I can look at it objectively. Knowing that life is so easily assumed and so rarely assessed. What if we actually took a, a pause? It asks, is this what we want to be about? Is this who I'm actually trying to become? Healthy people are self-aware people. Healthy people know who they are. And this isn't new Christian thought. This has been uh, said time and time again since the beginning of the church. You have Augustine who said it like this. How can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? You have people like John Calvin who said, Our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these are connected together by many ties, it is not easy to determine which of the two proceeds and gives birth to the other. Do you know with ourself? Unless we think that here I am adding another voice and giving you more evidence and compelling reasons why you need to be self-absorbed just like everybody else, let's also remember what the end of the invitation to Abram said. The end of the invitation to Abram said that you need to go and take the trip to you because once you go to you, you can be a blessing for all. If you go into your depths, if you go into the mess, if you make space and let your life walk out of the room so that you can be cut open and healed, if you can be honest with the questions that have haunted us since the day we were born, if you can go to that place, you could be free. But it might get messy. But it's the role that Jesus plays. I spoke at this church this morning in South Minneapolis. Reverend Dwayne Davis's church, actually. Remember Dwayne? Okay. That was, that was the moment we could connect. Apparently not. But... <clears throat> I told, they have a, they're very, a lot more liturgical than we are. And they talked about how this, the liturgy is, is the time where we orient our lives around Christ the priest. And I'm reminded that there are three identities that are primarily lifted up when we look at the story of Jesus. We see Jesus as the priest, we see Jesus as the king, and we see Jesus as the prophet. We often celebrate feasts and we name them after Christ the king. We erect churches and we name them after Christ the king. We gather on Sundays and we celebrate Christ the priest. We take the bread and the wine and we think about Christ the priest, but why do we not do the same with the prophet? Why are there no churches named Christ the prophet? Could it be that we would rather have a king that blesses the status quo than have a prophet who flips the tables over? Who wants to see what's underneath the thing? 
Because there are two kind of prophets that are proposed in the biblical story. There are the prophets like Moses who go to the enslaved and say, you could be free. And then there are the prophets like Jesus who go to those who think they are free and say, you might be enslaved. Do you want to lay that life down and pick a better one up? This is the point right now where I would love to uh, give you a five-step process on what this looks like. And I could talk to you about the Enneagram. I could talk to you about journaling. I could talk to you about um, therapy, mentoring. There's a lot of different practices. But I think you need to get lost. I think you need to stumble around in the dark. I think that one of the reasons why Jesus is so confusing and absent of clarity so often is because he recognizes that over-detailed plans can lead to underdeveloped people. And so we have to not look for a paint-by-numbers approach to what it looks like to actually know ourselves and go to that place and stumble around and make a mess and see what comes up along the way. Will you pray with me? Christ, you are good and we are grateful. Lord, we know that at In the center of who we are, we are beloved children of you. God, that you have named us, that you know us, and that you call us to know ourselves. To take that journey to ourselves, to see what is there, to be present and not always performing and producing. Give us the courage, God, to be honest ourselves. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for this space and for these people that we get to do this mess with. In Christ's name, all God's children, we say together, amen.